Today's talk is grounded in the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And we're continuing our step out series and we're looking at stepping out of the boat. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And I'll begin in reading this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. So here we have a situation that Jesus forces the disciples to go into a boat. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us exactly why he does this, but John does. John gives us a glimpse as to why he sends them and forces them into the boat. And John informs us that after he had fed the 5,000, after they were fed, after he performed this amazing miracle, the crowd saw this and were amazed. They saw that this was no ordinary man and they had powers. And it says, surely this is the Messiah. And John in his, in, his, in his language says, the crowd were trying to force Jesus into becoming their king. That the king that was to usher in the reinstation of the Jewish people. The king that was meant to bring the Jewish people back to the top and, 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 and overpower the Romans, overpower their oppressors. They saw Jesus perform these miracles and, and, the, and John is, is intentional with his language and saying they were going to force Jesus to become that king, that powerful king that was going to usher in the new age of the Jewish people. And when Jesus saw this arising and saw that this was going to turn very sour, he decided to step in and he tells the disciples, I need you to get out of this, get into the boat and you need to go ahead without me because I'm going to handle this whole situation. You don't need to be in this. It's going to turn bad and I'm going to calm the crowd. I'm going to address the crowd. I don't need you to be involved in this because you don't need to hear what I need to, what I need to do here. So he protects the disciples and sends them away. And I love how we read this about Jesus, that he's so thoughtful of those around him. And he says, man, this is way too early and way too much for my disciples to, to handle. So he protects them and steps in and allows them to be kind of separated from this whole situation that is arising that John informs us about. But as I'm reading this, a thought comes to mind and said, well, I love the fact that Jesus steps in and does that. But so often when we look at Jesus as well as God, we have this misconception on how God does and handles pain or how he handles temptation or hardship. There's a misconception that's like, well, when does God step in or when does he not step in? Here Jesus steps in and he, and he helps disciples in this whole situation. But in life today, what does it mean for life today? How do we know when God decides to step in or chooses not to step in? When does he intervene or does he not intervene? And this misconception is, is made, and a lot of this misconception is made in this book of 1 Corinthians. Can I go to my next slide? Where it says this, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to, do, to endure it. 
this understanding of, so where does God do? How does God intervene? And when does he intervene? Or when does he choose not to intervene? And I'm pretty sure we've all asked that question in our lives. And here the Bible clearly says that God would never allow us to be tested beyond our strengths or what we can handle, we can't handle. And one of the misconceptions we often make is, and I'm going to use this illustration to make it a bit clearer, if I could use sin, pain, and hardship, and I, if I can put it as a, as a cupcake, can I go picture next? A cupcake, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cupcake. God doesn't create cupcakes. God doesn't put cupcakes in our paths so that when they, we come about, we know, well, you know what, I'm doing my FODMAT, I'm doing my diet right now, I trained right now, and, I, and, I, and I'm feeling good. God doesn't put cupcakes in our path so that when we go across the cupcake, we feel we need to build up resilience, we need to build up a strong willpower that when we go across the cupcake, we can move across from it and not eat it. God doesn't make bad things happen that he puts it in your path so he can test you and build your resilience and, and willpower that you are able to become a stronger person for who you are now. A lot of people think, does God cause bad things to happen? Does God put cupcakes in my path that, that helps me to become a stronger pe person? The answer is no. God does not create bad things. God does not create sin. Sin is an evidence, of, is, is a reality of the world we live in because of the fall. But God did not put it there. It, was, it, it came about because of sin. God doesn't put cupcakes in your life. And if I'm being brutally honest, a lot of the times in life, the reason why there are cupcakes in our life is because a lot of the time we venture down the sugar aisle. We venture down the lollipop aisle and we put ourselves where there's going to be cupcakes and, and we have to deal with it. It's because of bad choices that we make, not because God has put it there in the first place. So if we go down the sugar aisle, if we make bad choices in life, we are going to run in the cupcakes of life. Or sadly, there's another situation where you decide to not go down the aisle of the sugar aisle and say, you know what, I'm going to go and make a righteous, I'm going to go detour and go down the veggie section. I'm going to go down the veggie section and I'm going to push my cart down that way. But sadly enough, you get people who went down the sugar aisle, made the wrong choice, but as they were going through the veggie section, they said, you know what, I don't need this cupcake anymore. And I don't know if you're one of those people where you pick up something and as you're pushing the cart, you realize I don't want it. And what we should do as a good Samaritan is we should go back to the cupcake aisle and put it back there. Are you one of those people that goes back to the aisle when you realize you don't want something and you put it back there? Or wherever you are, you just put it where you are, back in the Coles or Woolworths aisle. Sadly, we get a lot of people who just, you know what, I don't want the cupcakes, and I just put it. And while you're walking down the veggie aisle of life, while you're walking down and making the right choice in life, someone ahead of you went down that same path and decided to drop their cupcake that they don't want anymore and put it straight back where the veggies are now. So when you make the right choice and avoid the sugar lane, you go down the veggie lane and still find the cupcakes in life. Because someone decided to make a wrong choice, even though you made, a wrong made the right choice. Things happen in life not because God puts it there, but because we make wrong choices or because someone else made a wrong choice and it impacts us. But God did not do that. 
I don't know if that made sense, or you're probably feeling really, really hungry for cupcakes right now. You may have, I don't know why, but Ian's brainwashed me, and in the church, I'm buying cupcakes. But God did not put them there. And I don't know why there are times in life where God decides to remove the cupcakes. I've told stories and I've had people come up to me and goes, Ian, I'm so glad that happened to you, but that wasn't the outcome for me. Why was that for you and not for me? And I don't have an answer as to why there are times where God intervenes and he does not intervene. All I know is God did not put that hardship there in the first place. But one thing I am certain is that in the book of Corinthians, it says this, that he is faithful and that while we are going through hardship, while we are going through pain, he has made a way out. There is always a way out. And the Bible says there's a way out for first of all, he says that there's a way out because you have strength. Number one, point one. You have strength to endure the hardship. You have strength to overpower the hardship. You have strength and will to, to grow from the hardship. Because God goes, I created you. I know you. And I understand you. And I have put that in you. And you have every ounce to get through this. I created you. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, when it says that he in, has endured all temptation. He, has, he is a high priest who doesn't just sit there and doesn't understand what we're going through, but he has been tested just like how we be tested. So he knows pain. He knows hardship. He knows temptation. He says, I know that, and I know you because I created you. I know what pain is because I've been there. I know what temptation is because I experienced it. But I also know you because I created you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So point number one is this. I know there's going to be a way out. I know you're going to overcome this because I know you. I understand you because I formed you and knew you before even you were in your mother's womb. And I know that you will endure this. Point number one, the creator of heaven and earth made you and he does not make junk. And he looks to you and says, you will get through this. But he says, most of all, point number two, I know you will get through this. Point number two, I know you'll get through this. We've got to continue reading to find out what is point number two. How does God know we will get through this? We'll continue reading. In Matthew chapter 14, we pick up, later that night, later that night, he was there alone. Have I got, got, have I got the right slide? Next slide. Okay. Later night, we're going to read from, the. Yeah. he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffed by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, crying out in fear. So Jesus encourages and forces the disciples to be on their own, and they go out into the boats. After he calms the crowd and deals with it, the Bible says he goes into the mountaintops and he spends time with the Father. And as he's spending time with the Father in prayer and in meditation and in connection with his, it goes for at least the six to eight hours we find out in the commentaries. It was around three o'clock at night, the darkest time of the night. And as Jesus is spending time with, this, with, with his Father, around three o'clock, as the disciples were out in the boat, 
He looks out and he sees that the wind and the waves are building up and he sees the disciples in their hour of need. He sees and, 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 and sees that they're in trouble. And the Bible says he immediately leaves the mountaintop. He goes down from the mountain and he goes rushing over to where the disciples are. And he meets the water and the Bible kind of just continues writing it like it's nothing. And the Bible says he decides to walk on water. And when you're reading it, like it, the way it's written, it's like it's nothing to him. He's like, of course he's going to do that. There was no other option for him to do that. And he walks on water to get to where the disciples are. So point number two is this. How do I know you're going to make it through this hardship? How do I know you're going to make it through the trials? First of all, it says God made you and created you. And he goes, I know you and you can make it through this. Second point is this. He says, I will be with you. That whenever a matter comes or arises or surfaces in your life, there is nothing that will separate you from me and I will immediately go to you and even gravity will not be able to stop me from getting to you. If there's waters, if there's mountains, if there's a universe, if there's an obstacle, it does not matter. I am going to force my way to you because there's nothing that can come, come between you and me. How do I know you're going to make it through this? How do I know that this, this night will eventually turn into a day? Because the Bible says God promises to be with you. And the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the wind and the waves, the man who walks on water will stop at no length to make sure that you know that he is with you. This is how I know you can endure and push on because God says you are wonderfully and fearfully made and you have the ability to get through. But most of all, this same God who writes gravity and overrides it, this same God who, who raises people from the dead, this same God who looks at the sick and heals them instantaneously, this same God who, who, who promises this in the Bible is with you. And this is why I love what St. Augustine writes when he was writing the commentary on the boat. He says, Christians, Christians, why are you afraid? That's all he writes on that commentary. Christians, why are you afraid? Do you not know that this God that promises to be with you is with you? And the man who says, peace be still to the waves and the waves became still, that God is with you. So why are you afraid? I remember as a kid, me and my brother were always put in charge of looking after my baby sister. There's like a 14-year gap between us. And um, I remember one time we were at the pools, and my dad told my, me and my brothers, Eric, Jan, I need you to look after Christelle. She's, going to, she's playing around the pool, and just make sure that you keep your eye on her at all times that she doesn't fall into the pool. And I was like, Dad, all right, we look after her. It's all good. So Dad went out. I think he went to get something to eat, and me and Eric were looking after Christelle. And I don't know what happened, Maybe a cupcake came by and I got distracted. But that very second that I took my eye off my sister and went to, I think it was the, the food, food table, I heard a splash. 
But immediately what followed after the small splash, there was a bigger splash. And I looked to where the pool was and I saw my dad had already dived into the pool, clothes and all, mobile and all, straight into the pool to where my sister was. At no point did he ever take his eye off my sister. And this is exactly how God works. You have never left his sight. You have never gone into his blind spots. He sees you. And like the disciples, when he was on top of the mountain and it was the darkest point at, in the nighttime, he still sees you and he looks to you and says, I am with you. And I love what Pastor Kim was talking about in Romans chapter 8. It says, there is nothing that can separate you from him. Nothing that can separate you. Nothing within the universe, nothing without, outside of the universe. No, no, no angel, no demon. Nothing can separate you from him. No mountain, not even water can he separate. He walks on top of it to get to you because he sees you and he loves you and he promises to be with you. This is the God that we serve. Let's continue reading. But immediately, verse 27, but immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So the disciples are freaking out here. And Jesus says, take courage and do not be afraid. Verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and, be, and he was afraid and began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? I absolutely love, love Peter for this. Because when he sees Jesus, he's the kind of guy who acts before thinking. He's the kind of guy who says something before thinking. And he sees a scenario where Jesus is walking on the water and instantaneously he's like, Messiah, Rabbi, Lord, teacher, if it is you, let me go out to meet you. And he doesn't think about the situation. He just wants to be on top of the water. And I love Peter so much for that because Peter is so much like me. So many times in my life, I... Act before I think. I say things before I think of them. And there are times just like Peter, I get in trouble. Like we read in the book of Matthew where he goes to the great rabbi and says, I will never, I will never forsake you. I will never doubt you. I will, I will never speak ill of you. And then we read that later on he, he doubts Jesus three times and denies Jesus three times. Where he acts or speaks before thinking that plagued Peter his entire life but the problem with him became one of his greatest strengths because every time he put himself out there every time he made a silly decision every time he began to sink because he didn't really think about the wind and the waves every time he stuffed up Jesus reaches down and picks him up. 
said that one of Peter's greatest strengths was that he was always willing to step out of the boat. One of his greatest problems was his greatest strength, that though he acted before thinking, he steps out of the boat and he actually lives life on the edge, but every time he falters and starts to sink in life, Jesus is the first person that reaches out to him and says, it's going to be all right, and he grabs him and picks him up. And for me, out of all the disciples, Peter had one of the strongest faith because every time he fell down, Jesus picked him up straight away. And he experienced and he lived the, the Messiah, the resurrection, the, 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 the God who promised to be with him. Every time he stuffed up, he saw it and witnessed it firsthand. And his faith, every time he fell down, became stronger. Every time he stepped out of the boat he didn't think he just acted and Jesus was like oh Peter again it's okay I'm gonna pick you up it's okay you stuffed up again I'm gonna pick you up and he and he, and he experiences the God that says I love you and I will never forsake you I have made a way out for you and he lived it he experienced it because he stepped out of the boat I loved your illustration last week, Kim, when you talked about the sailing or the rock climbing. And I want to kind of hijack that a little bit because like you, I was involved in so many summer camps where I had experience and teach kids about the rock climbing and the abseiling. And every time you taught kids, hey, y'all, you're going to be okay. We got the harness. We got the safety rope, and if something happens and one snaps, and you can always say, what do you mean snap? How does one snap? He said, it doesn't matter. We got a second one, and we got a third one. That if the worst case scenario, one snaps, you got two backing you up. And as no many times, how many times you explain it to them, there's always a little bit of doubt in the back of their minds. That when they start climbing up the leap of faith, when they start climbing up the mountain, you can see they're shaking. Every so often you get one of those freak kids like Caleb or Jesse, they just run up there and jump without a rope. They just don't care. They have lived life fearlessly. But 99% of the time, most kids, for the first time they go rock climbing and abseiling, they're freaking out. But when they get to the top and you can see that their legs are shaking, you can see that they're on their foreheads that they're sweating buckets. <laughs> but when they jump off, and experience for themselves. Hey, what Pastor Kim was saying, what, what Leighton was saying, what mom and dad were saying, what the path was saying, these ropes have got our back. And you can see from the first time they jump off and experience the safety that we've mentioned them time and time again, that nothing is going to happen, that they're going to be all right. The second time they go, the third time they go, the fourth time they go, they're like, you know what? I'm safe. But you never get to experience the rope unless you step out. You never get to experience God's love until you step out of this boat. That's the scary thing about it. God goes, hey, love me and experience me not in the safety of your chairs, not in the safety and the comfort of your homes. You need to step out. You need to go out there. Sadly, if you want to experience God as a healing God, guess what? You've got to get sick. But when you are sick 
and the healing God comes and touches your life, you experience it's like, man, He is there for me. Or when you get lost, and then the, the, the finder, navigator, pathfinder God comes after you and he finds you and he pulls you out of the, the moment where you don't, are trying to navigate yourself. Only then will you experience, man, this God does got my back. But you need to be lost first. And I've been in this third situation where you're broke. You've got no money, but every time you look in the bank, you've realized that it's just enough for you to get, to get by the provider God. It says, I clothe the lilies and I feed the birds. How much more do I care for you? I will be with you. Before you experience all that, I'm telling you, church, you have to step out of the boat. You can't experience him from the comfort of your homes. You can't experience him with the comfort of the couch. So, you know, I'm just going to sit back here and just observe. God goes, no, 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 no. I need you to step out. Get out. And live life. And experience that I will get you through this situation. Just as I promised you. Step out. Step out. Step out. And I promise you, God will never falter, fail, or let you down. He is true to the core. God bless church.